Murder. Welcome to Death Do Us Part Podcast, hosted by my wife, Jamie. Hello. And myself, Mark. What up, y'all? Hey. Hey. Merry Christmas. Mark got new microphone covers, so we mm-hmm. don't have, like, the spit guard things. Yeah. The jizz guard. Yeah. That's weird. I know. Now I'm looking at you. You can see my eyes fully. Like I'm breathing really heavy into it. What do I do with my hands? Which makes me wonder, like, when singers are like, blah. Like, do they really to? go blah? I mean, I'm sure they do. But no. why do they have to be, like, right up against it? I don't understand it. Oh, I don't know, <clears throat> babe. That's rock and roll. I guess. I don't know. It's weird. Think we'll get you. You are staring right the fuck at me, though. Oh, I know. Jesus, dead stare. Why? Here, I'll put on the sunglasses. Jesus Christ! It's fucking weird. Jesus Christ Almighty! It's weird. Is that better? I guess. Yeah. Hmm. So I hope everyone had a merry Christmas. Yes. I got pens that say uh, seven different varieties of fuck. That's awesome. And they write great. Do they? They do. Good tip. Yeah, they write really good. It's not. It's kind of like a medium point, which I'm not a fan of, but these write very well. Very smooth. Mm-hmm. Mm. Until you put lotion on your hands, then you can't fucking hold it. Oh well, yeah. Now. But I like the smooth writing mm-hmm. pens. Oh, you would really like the these. gel tips. Those no, are my favorite. These are ballpoint. Yeah, the gel tips are my favorite. Yeah. But, I like them. They're nice. Mm-hmm. You got some stuck in your teeth. I do. Need my finger? No, ew. Oh, lol. <laughs> and the fucking lighter ran out. And yeah. Yeah. Probably from Jack's playing with it all day. Uh, yeah. I'm going to go with yeah. On that one. <laughs> and like, he thinks He's you can't hear this, him. Yeah, I know. He tries to be quiet. Dude, like, it clicks. Dude, we hear you. Mm-hmm. It You're clicks. not having a fire fucking death match with your action figures. He tries, though. I know he does. He got barricades, mm-hmm. like the you know, like the wrestling barricades. Yeah. So our island, our whole island, looks is like a, a legitimate fucking, stage. Yes, mm-hmm. is a, an entire wrestling arena. Did he tell you what he did? So, well, I saw what he just did, and I hope that fucking marker comes off the new guys that we just got. It him. does. It does. It better. Um, but we put LED lights all around it. Yeah. Then he was cutting that box for a stage. Yeah. Cut right through the fucking lights. Oh, did he? <laughs> I didn't well, I think told he him wanted to put the red t- lights on. Yeah. So. I don't think he wanted you to know that. But So that's because oh, I asked about the LED lights. Did he just tell you he didn't like them or whatever? Yeah. He just, he's like, no, we shouldn't. That's because he cut through them. Oh. Yeah. But don't tell him that because he'll get mad at me. Oh. You and him have these secrets and it bothers me. Shut up. I got it. It's my cut through lights. Yeah, it's my job to give him shit. Yeah, but he's sensitive like you. I I get it, but it's still my job. But no, leave him alone. He felt really bad because it was literally like 20 minutes after I finished putting them all up. Yeah. It was right away. Was it really? Yeah. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. I was like, it's all right, dude. Oh, poor guy. Yeah. So, yeah, now he's, I saw he's got the Christmas lights. Yeah, over. he's got the red ones Those on. are going to be harder to cut through, so, I mean, mm-hmm. you're good. Whatever. Yeah, he's good. The barricades are cool, though. There's a Bar- whole mat that goes with it. Yes. It's insane. It's badass. Mm-hmm. Badass. So, once the ring finally fucking comes. Jesus fucking Christ. 
paid extra for shipping. $12,000 for shipping. Yeah. And that gets delayed. Mm -hmm. Again. And then they said it was going to be here yesterday or today. Mm -hmm. Now it's delayed till Wednesday. It's still in Jersey. Stop shipping. No, I thought I, I thought it was in Kentucky. Finally. Oh, it might be. Since you looked again, it might be. It was yeah. still in Jersey when I looked no, this morning. No, it's, so. it's in Kentucky now. Motherfuckers. So. Mm-hmm. Damn it. Yeah. This is honestly, like, we order from this company a lot. Yeah, And this do. is the most trouble we've had with shipping. Oh, yeah. So, I get it. So, it's like a fucking heat wave today. Yeah. It's a whole 20, what? Two. 22 degrees? It was snowing when I left this morning for work. Oh, was it really? Mm-hmm. Not hard, but enough. Yeah. I was like, what the fuck, man? Thursday, it's going to be fucking 50. Dude, I fucking hate 50 this weather. 50 fucking degrees and rainy. It. Oh, of course. Why not? Because then, you know, Friday morning, it's going to be 12 and it's going to be fucking frozen. Right, right. hate this weather. Uh, God I, I damn think it, it I just like, weather. it gave us a little taste how January and February are going to go. Being fucking I, b- below zero. The cold is one thing. It's the wind. Oh, it goes oh right through you. Oh, my God. When it, the wind's fucking 50 miles an hour? Yeah, it goes Ugh. right through you. Hurts your face? It does. It's too much. It does. I mean, when I have no feeling in my legs, and <laughs> I can feel the cold going through my legs. Poor Jax. When you were like, I like my legs are freezing, Jackson's like, he can't feel it. <laughs> and I was like, well, it's really fucking cold out then. It's, so. it, dude, I'm telling you, mm-hmm. it's fucking cold, man. Hate this weather. Yeah. Yeah. Hate I'm, it. Uh, I'm ready for spring. Yeah. Uh, I'm ready for spring already. I would like spring and fall all year. Spring and fall are the best. Yeah. Summer, then it gets a little bit too crazy. Too fat for the heat. Too yeah. much. Mm-mm. Spring and fall are. It's where it's at. Ideal. Yeah. Not this bullshit. No. Fuck, man. Ugh. So anyways, um, I don't know. I was going to ask if we had any new Patreons, but I don't think we... I don't think we do because it was just a couple do. days. It was just a cu- yeah, a few days ago that we um, recorded. Well, let me look. And I'm sure everyone, everyone is waiting for the prices to drop. I don't blame mm, them. Mm. Yeah, no. We don't have any new ones. Womp womp. We love all of you, though. Yeah, we do love yeah. you guys. But you it really has only tits. been a couple days. So, yeah. Yeah. Are you fucking calling me on that Marco Polo thing again? I did. I, I forget sent you I a have message. It. I'm sorry. I don't for- play because it'll be I'm loud. not going to. Oh. Ew. God. I think the dog just farted because it stinks in here now. So you did because the dog is nowhere in here. Oh, no, it wasn't me. I'd fucking tell you if it was me. <laughs> I don't up to that shit. The dog isn't in here. So, I don't know what you're fucking smelling. Where is he? Usually uh-huh. he's behind you. He might be upstairs with you. Oh. He usually is behind me. I don't know where the yeah. fuck he is. He's probably like, I hate you people because it's fucking cold and I can't go outside. <laughs> right. Bunch of dicks. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but anyways, <sighs> we have a good one today. Oh, man. I'm going to have to we, shorten it as we go. Are you really? Yeah. Yeah. I was There's realizing that, lot. like trying to get it together. Um, Yeah. I'm going to have to shorten it as we go. It, so. if, if you have 
not watched. Oops, sorry. Catching what, what is it called? Catching a killer nurse. I don't know. I, I didn't watch them. I believe that's what it's called. But there, there's two movies on it on Netflix. Like the good, I think it's the called good the, nurse. The good nurse. Yeah. And then the documentary is catching a killer nurse, and it is fucking scary. Yeah. Number one. Yeah. And number two, it's fucking excellent. The police did a fucking amazing job catching this fucking guy. So, do they show the police a lot in the documentary or the movie? The documentary. Oh, okay. So, because the movie... Oh, they go through the whole investigation. Okay. The movie, uh, The Good Nurse, is actually referring to the nurse who caught him up, not him. Yeah, that his one-time friend who yeah wore the wire and everything and yeah it's just, i mean it's, uh, it's but it's scary it's scary to think that there's nurses out there there's medical professional out there it's scary to think that hospitals know this shit and cover shit up like yep. this yeah it, it's just it's mind-blowing and, i mean things have changed since this happened in regards to reporting and stuff like that. But for yeah. the most part, I mean, unless there's solid proof and charges come from it. Right. They can't really report anything to like state medical boards. Right. Right. Uh, it's a. Uh, I have some statistics and Ooh. some stuff. So. Yeah, I'd like to hear that. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a little scary. Yeah. Now, some of it, like the beginning, I talk about a survey. Mm. Uh, all right. But, yeah, it's a, uh, I don't know. It's just crazy because I don't think a lot of people know how frequent yeah. this actually happens. No, I mean, so there are what they call angels of death who really euthanize, essentially, yeah. to, to put people out of their, you know, their, their misery, but... These guys just aren't it, man. No, and they no. they claim that they are, but it it's not it. No, everything points against it. So, are you getting a message too? I think. I just yeah, think. it's the group message for Saturday. Oh, gotcha. So, but um, yeah, today we're going to talk about uh, Charles Cullen. Yes, there is a lot. Like oh, a, I could believe it. A lot. I could believe it. Um, I don't know. And you, you actually like when I talk about his childhood and stuff a little bit, you kind of see some like serial killer tendencies coming out, hmm. like the triad, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. It's a, uh, it's oh, a lot. It's a little frightening. So yeah. Well, why don't you just uh, just jump right in? Jump right in. All right. So. In the May 23rd, 1996 issue of the New England Journal of Medicine, a disturbing study, excuse me, survey was published. An anonymous questionnaire was sent to 1,600 nurses in the United States. Of the 1,139 that responded, 852 said that they had been asked by patients or family members to engage in euthanasia or assisted suicide. Mm. So that's the patients asking them. Which wow. I get it, you yeah. know. Um, 164 of those, it, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> oh, there's the dog. 
uh, admitted to engaging in the practice at least once. Of those, 129 said they took an active role in bringing on the death. The other 35 said that they pretended to perform a life-sustaining measure that had been ordered by the doctor. Wow. Uh, According to this University of Pennsylvania study, the most frequently used method by those that actively participated was administering a high dose of opiates to a terminally ill patient, which, yeah. Yeah, that'll do Pump my asshole of fucking morphine, you know? Uh, males only make up 7% of the nurses that work in hospitals and nursing homes in the United States. That's it. However, an inordinate number of medical murderers are men. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have a Wow. Video. Are you ready? Yeah. Uh, Donald Harvey was a nurse in the 1970s and 1980s, and he killed as many as 50 victims in eastern Kentucky and so- southern Ohio. Wow. Uh, Richard Angelo in 1987 worked at Good Samaritan Hospital on Long Island, and uh, there were more than 35 potential victims that ended up being exhumed after a fellow nurse went to authorities um, wow. and said that this guy said that he tested the stolen hospital drugs on field mice before patients. Jesus. He was only convicted of four murders. Oh, my God. Robert Diaz in the 1980s was a CCU uh, nurse in multiple L.A. hospitals. What's CCU? Uh, Critical care or cardiac care. Okay. Depends on the hospital. Um, He would show off by predicting when elderly patients would die. Because he would kill them. Um, Wow. An investigation was started after an obscene amount of patients died from the same symptoms. He was convicted of 12 of those, and they said they picked the 12 strongest cases. Yeah. Uh, Orville Lynn Majors Jr., between 1994 and 1995, worked in Vermilion County uh, Hospital in rural Clinton, Indiana. He was actually very popular for his efficiency and his caring bedside manner. An investigation was started after an alarming number of deaths occurred on his watch, and he was convicted of six. Jeez. In 2005, a Switzerland nurse, Roger Andermatt, was sentenced to life for 22 murders and five attempted murders of nursing home residents. Mm. In 1997 to 1998, a French nurse was sentenced to 10 years for administering lethal doses of morphine or potassium in a Paris hospital. Uh, In Vienna, Austria, a nurse and three aides admitted to killing 69 patients over a period of six years. Wow. Authorities believe that number is actually in the hundreds. Oh. Um, in Norway, a medical supervisor of a nursing home killed 138 people over five years and said that he was doing, uh, quote, God's bidding. Jesus. But one of the most prolific ones was a family physician in England by the name of Dr. Harold Shipman, who they called Dr. Death. He was convicted of killing 15 patients. Mm. However, a public high court inquiry blamed him for 215 deaths. Oh, my God. And found possible involvement in 45 more. Oh, my God. Now, in... uh, Britain at the time there was no death penalty and he ended up hanging himself in 2004. Good. Yeah. So according to, right. mm-hmm, according to Gallup polls surveys, nursing is the most respected profession in the United States. 
In 2004, it was named the most ethical and honest of all professions. And this was the fifth time in the last six years. The only time they were surpassed was in 2001 by firefighters after the 9-11 attacks. Yeah. Charles Cullen is considered one of the most notorious serial killers in the United States. He was convicted of 29 murders. Mm-hmm. Um, there were several attempted murders. Oh, yeah. Um, however, according to what he says and other family members, it's upwards of 40. Yeah. Um, regardless of the number, he is one of the most appalling examples of a healthcare professional who turned on his patients when at their most vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, he now has a reputation in an especially heinous type of serial killers called Death Angels. Uh, he said that he took the lives of patients to end their suffering. Yeah. This is debatable at best. A lot of these patients were recovering. Yeah. That's the thing. Like in the documentary, yeah. like the, these older, they were, most of them were older patients. Yeah. But they were on the mend. Yeah. They, Some they were of them, getting better. Yeah. I mean, not all of them were, but a lot of them right, were. Right. Um. And some were getting ready to get transferred out yeah. and getting released. One of his and, first victims was actually going to a rehab facility yeah. that day. Yeah. So, we'll talk, I'll, I'll get to her. Um, he, so a lot of these nurses, you know, they say, oh, to end their suffering. But then they came out in trial and said, like, well, they were pissing me off. Or they were bothersome. Or they were whiny. Yeah. What? Dude, that's your job. What? If you don't want whining, don't be a nurse. Don't be a nurse. You know? Right. So he would observe their suffering, quote unquote, for days, but he would murder on impulse. Um, he also would say that he had blacked out the memories of the murders and lived his life in a fog. Mm. But if these were mercy killings, then why? If you were if you were doing this to end their suffering, why would you have to black out the memories of the murder? Yeah, it, exactly. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. No. So Charles Cullen was born February twenty second, nineteen sixty, in West Orange, uh, New Jersey, to parents Edmund and Florence. He was the youngest of eight children in a working class Catholic family. His father Edmund, who was fifty six at the time of his birth, was a bus driver. And his mother, Florence, who emigrated from England after World War II, was a stay-at-home mom and a housewife. On September 17, 1960, his father, Edmund, uh, dies. Sudden death. Don't know why. Oh, really? Um, Charles was seven months old at the time. Mm. Charles described his childhood as, quote, miserable, saying he was constantly bullied by classmates and his sister's boyfriends. He started exhibiting signs of mental instability early on, including the first of upwards of 20 suicide attempts. Whoa. Which I question a lot of the later ones. Yeah. Because you're a nurse. You, you'd be you, able to do it. You're killing people. Yeah. I mean, you could pretty much apply the same thing to yourself. Yeah, yeah. You, you'd be able to do it. So, his first attempt was at nine when he drank chemicals from a chemistry set. Nine years old? Yeah. There was another one apparently right around that time that I can't find much about, but he allegedly stabbed himself in the head with a pair of scissors. Jeez. And had to have surgery afterwards. I don't know. 
I couldn't find, like I said, I couldn't find yeah. a lot about it. That's not good if you're this young. And I also couldn't find anything regarding any kind of treatment that he received. <sighs> and I know in the 60s it really wasn't yeah. like a thing, but suicide attempt, it's not like you Dude. would get treatment for suicide attempts. Yeah. You know? I don't know. And if you're this young, you, you need some kind of help. Yeah. So finances were tight at home before Edmund's death, but they were worse after. Their main source of income was his like meager social security check. Uh, Florence and a lot of his sisters would babysit, and they also had a disabled aunt who lived with them who would sew for the Red Cross. Mm -hmm. Um, They couldn't afford everyday things like haircuts, and nuns would yell at him because that's what nuns do yeah that's what they do charles would say that he was humiliated and this was painful emotionally uh get over yourself yeah but that's rough i mean i, I, I went to a catholic school and they were ruthless yeah, and you're not killing people yeah but the teachers and the nuns they, they were ruthless so he was a skinny awkward kid in hand-me-downs uh in a household dominated by women he did have brothers but mostly sisters mm-hmm on December 6th of 1977, he was a 17-year-old junior at West Orange High School. His mother was a passenger in a car driven by his married sister, and they were involved in a head-on collision. Wow. His sister uh, walked away with minor bumps and bruises. Mom was pronounced dead on arrival at a nearby hospital. Oh, jeez. Uh, his sister was an epileptic and stated that she had run out of her meds the day before, but the police report did not cite epilepsy as a factor in the accident. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the time, there were five children still at home, but they weren't children at the time because he was 17, being the youngest. Yeah, No one was really capable to take place of their parents, so they were just kind of left to their own devices. Um, Charles was described as a mama's boy who doted on his mom, and he was absolutely devastated by her death. Yeah. He would say later that he was most upset that the hospital didn't immediately inform him of her death, and they cremated her instead of returning her body to the family for burial. That's weird. Yeah. Maybe because she didn't have any, like, next of kin, I'm wondering, except kids, but they had, she had grown kids. Yeah, I don't know. That's, mm. that's kind of strange. So, being a 17-year-old kid left to his own devices instead of, like, partying and shit, he really just withdrew further into himself, spending more and more time alone, and that monster was so, so good. Within a couple weeks of his mother's death, he dropped out of high school and enlisted in the Navy. Mm. Now, he knew the Navy couldn't replace his parents, but it did provide practical benefits of food and shelter, medical care, regular income, and discipline. Uh, despite not really fitting in with his peers at boot camp and claiming he was hazed and bullied, he proudly showed off his uniform at home after his two-week leave from boot camp. From there, he went to basic enlisted submarine school in Connecticut where he underwent rigorous psychological screening Hmm. Hmm. Okay. necessary to determine if recruits were ready and emotionally capable of handling stresses of being submerged for two months. He passed with flying colors. Hmm. Really? From there he went to Gunner's Mate A School where he graduated a newly promoted petty officer with a rating as a missile technician third class and submarine qualifications. He was assigned to the USS Woodrow Wilson. Um, There was a lot of history behind that, but I didn't want to get into it. So 
Um, generally, they said the hazing would stop after one had proven themselves and done a mission, but his really didn't. He remained a misfit, and they called him Fishbelly. So the hazing, was it a lot of butt play? I don't think it was a lot of butt play, babe. Fingers um, in the butt. So he never went Boop to his you. superiors, and he they say it kind of made it worse because he just withdrew more and really just accepted the behavior. Yeah. But later on, he would be remembered for his generosity and willingness to help with chores and cleaning up. So, Okay. Yeah. He liked hanging around the sick bay and at one point confided to a bunkmate that he did want to be a nurse because he liked to help people. What? He liked to what? Mm, Sure. So at one point, he was found by his superior at the missile control panel dressed in stolen surgical mask, gloves, and scrubs. It was reported, and he was disciplined, but the reason behind it or the extent of the discipline was never explained. After two years, he was reassigned to a less stressful job on a supply ship, the USS uh, Cannabis. He alleged... Cannabis? Can-o-piss. Uh, Not like, cannabis. Uh, I want to sail on that shit. Yeah. So. Sign me the fuck up. He allegedly became more bothered by fits of depression, um, and there was a possible uh, a suicide attempt again. Yeah. He did receive treatment at a psychiatric ward for the Navy. And on March 30th, 1984, he was discharged from the Navy. Uh, the Navy, however, never released the type of discharge or the reason for the discharge, but it's speculated that it was medical. Mm-hmm. Don't know. Shortly after discharge, he enrolled at Mountainside Hospital Nursing School in Montclair, New Jersey. He excelled. He became the president of his nursing class. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, in March of 1987, his brother James died in the family home of an overdose that was believed to be suicide. Yeah. Uh, at some point through school, he met Adrian Taub, and in May of 1997, he graduated at the top of his class. So this dude knew what he was doing. Uh-huh. Like, he was... Smart. He was a smart dude. Mm-hmm. He was very smart. Wow. Um, a week after he graduated, on June 7th, he married Adrian in a religious ceremony at Atrium West in West Orange, New Jersey, by his house. He <clears throat> now had to take, obviously, the boards to become a nurse, yeah. so he had to take the National Council licensure exam for registered nurses. A score of 1,600 is considered passing. Mm-hmm. He scored 2437. Jesus. So... He's smart. Yeah. He's a smart guy. He knew what what he was doing. So he started at St. Barnabas Medical Center in Livingston, New Jersey, where he worked in the tank room in the burn unit. Now, the tank room is where um, patients would come in for daily scrubbing and bandage changes. Mm -hmm. And this is considered the most painful part of healing from a burn, Mm. is the cleaning and and the bandage changes. Uh, the chief burn technician would remember how attuned Charles, excuse me, seemed to a patient's pain, uh, saying, quote, he always had an interest in making sure the patient was comfortable. He had efficient bedside manner, but he lacked the warmth and sympathy of his female counterparts. Um, he was private. He didn't chit chat very much, um, sometimes wouldn't even answer a direct question with a direct answer, but was also described as funny and personable. Wow. It just, yeah. 
I don't. Mm. I don't know. Uh, I'm so confused. Yeah. <laughs> so one of his first patients was in the burn unit. It was um, <clears throat> a former judge who was suffering from an allergic reaction to a new medication and being in the sun. Mm-hmm. You get like blood poisoning almost. Yeah. So on June 11th, 1988, he killed him with ivy lidocaine. Oh my God. Now lidocaine, I know lidocaine, people think lidocaine like your teeth and everything like that, but it's actually a heart medication too. It's oh, used, is it really? Yeah, it's used, so like if we would have somebody in cardiac arrest and we would get a heart rhythm back, we would give them lidocaine to sustain it. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Um, after two years in the burn unit, he became a, what they call a roving nurse with Livingston Services Corps. That just means he was um, like a traveling nurse. So he would go from hospital to hospital. So this took him uh, not completely out of the burn unit, but it put him also in ICU, which is intensive care, CCU, um, a telemetry unit, which is you're on a heart monitor, yeah. and a ventilator unit. He favored uh, the graveyard shift and... It, it's noted in multiple places that the graveyard shift and like ICU, CCU are often favored by medical killers because of the opportunities and the camouflage that they offer. Jeez. So. <clears throat> well, that's creepy. Yeah. He always volunteered for extra shifts all the time. Like that was one thing that everybody said about him. Mm-hmm. Um, his nursing care was described as, quote, mediocre, but he never neglected his patients. Yeah. At this point, though, his home life was deteriorating and his marriage was crumbling. Uh, He was depressed and content to just sit on the couch drinking. He wouldn't communicate with his wife. um, And if she did try and talk to him, he would either throw a fit or he would just stare off into the distance and pretend she wasn't standing there. Kind of like me. It's a great idea. (laughs) So they ended up having two daughters, one in 1998, or excuse me, 1988 and one in 1992. Uh, but he treated treated normal family life as more of a burden. He was described as moody, sullen, and abrasive. Yeah. And at the very least, he was difficult to deal with. And at the most, he was impossible and frightening. Mm. One thing that was always talked about with him was he was a careless driver. He was constantly getting tickets huh. and running stop signs and eventually would be called crash because he was always <clears throat> show up with like <clears throat> paint. So, sound up. familiar? No, not at all. Are you done? (laughs) So he just started being like a real douche. He started turning the heat off in the winter. And when, yeah, when his wife and the kids would complain, he would set it on 80 and then sleep sleep in the living room with the windows open. What a fucking dick. Yeah. Um, (laughs) That's just a dick move. Yeah, it is. He would make a point to ignore her in front of people, uh, especially her parents. Yeah. Um, so he spent four years at St. Barnabas, um, and eventually a quiet investigation was started regarding somebody tampering with IV bags. Mm -hmm. So now, you know, when you look at an IV bag, there's the port that the tube goes in. Yes. And there's a port next to it that you can put medication in. Yes. Somebody was allegedly putting, uh, insulin into the bags. How, how did they know that? Because people were going... Uh, hypoglycemic they were, their blood sugar was dropping to like 25 when they were getting hooked on an yeah, iv when they were on this iv i gotcha so okay. he at one point was actually reprimanded for contaminating an iv bag with insulin so in january of 1992 they really they just stopped calling him for shifts 
yeah. including his full-time shifts. So he just kind of walked away. They just kind of let him. Yeah. Uh, See you later. Yeah. Administrators never publicly disclosed the internal investigation. They made no attempt to call the police or have charges filed. And they didn't notify any state or regulatory agencies. They didn't term him either. So they didn't have to report him. Mm. Uh, they later, and up to today, will say that he just left under a cloud of suspicion and give no details. A month later, he got hired at Warren Hospital in the CCU, so the cardiac unit. Um, he would work anywhere between 12 and 36 hours of overtime weekly. Wow. Now, his marriage is really just going in the shitter. Yeah. January 11th of 1993, Adrian called for the first of two times to the uh, Phillipsburg PD. She requested a restraining order, but it was denied based on the judge saying that Charles was odd, but he was not violent. I don't know what's worse, like, to be called odd or violent. Right. I think I'd rather be... like. I think I would rather be called violent. He's than, so weird, we don't think he's going to hurt you. He's just odd. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think I would rather be violent. Yeah. I don't know. Well, a week later, not even a week later, four days later, she filed for divorce. A week after that, he was served at work. Mm. She cited extreme cruelty, um, giving examples of not sharing their marriage bed for three years, not talking to her, stuff like that. Uh, a few days later, she called for the second call for domestic battery. Um, she attempted again at a restraining order, saying that she feared his access to hospital medications would put her and her kids in danger. So, like, she knew something was up. Yeah. You know? Yeah. She also said he was a raging alcoholic, would put lighter fluid in drinks, uh, put their pets in trash cans, and requested rates from the local funeral home. Okay, psycho killer? So this is odd, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Serial killer, mm -hmm. hello? Psycho. She said that he burned uh, the children's books and all the books that she had gotten about Alcoholics Anonymous, and then took the kids to the sitter and didn't pick them up for a week. You know, but honestly, I making jokes of it now, though, I really think he had a mental illness oh, he from, did. from the beginning. He did. He did. And it, For it, sure. it wasn't treated. <clears throat> and it just, this lingered on. So, with the, like his wife saying he left the kids at the sitter for a week, um, she was a computer analyst, but she didn't work while they were married. Okay. Why didn't you pick them up? Yeah. Why didn't you pick him up? Right. I, I, that one kind of stuck with me. Yeah. Because throughout the whole thing, he, he says, he talks about how much he, he loved his kids. Yeah. And he just wanted to be around his kids. Right. So, at this point, he attempted suicide again. Uh, he tried multiple times with carbon monoxide. So, um, he was treated Dude, at... Dude, you are really bad at suicide. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like... <laughs> How are you so good at killing other people, but you can't do it to yourself? Yeah. He was like... That's weird. I don't want to say he was like blatantly obvious enough to get caught, but he was blatantly obvious enough to get caught, yeah, essentially. Yeah, he got caught. Every time. Yeah. Obviously. Um, <clears throat> So he was treated at Mullenberg Regional Medical Center's Behavioral Unit. Unit. He was released on February 5th, went to the house, packed his shit, and moved out. He found out the same week that his brother Edmund was terminally ill with brain cancer. 
And in early fall, he was now being accused by a patient's son of killing his mother. Wow. Uh, This guy went to the Warren County DA. Yeah. Said that uh, Charles was tending to his mother, made him leave the room. And when he came back in, his mother said, he stuck me. Yes. They found uh, a puncture wound on the inside of her thigh. Mm -hmm. They also found that there was no injection ordered or authorized. His mom died of a sudden heart attack within 12 hours. And she was getting, if I'm... She was getting better. If I'm not mistaken, she was getting transferred out. Uh, Was she the one? I think in the documentary, she was going to the rehab place. And as soon as she made it, that's when she coded. I'm not sure if it was her. Uh, I'm pretty sure. It might have been her. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Because they come to find out, you know, one of the the first signs of digoxin overdose is projectile vomiting. And that's what a lot of these patients would do. They would projectile vomit. Wow. Okay. So. They didn't go go into that in the documentary. I'll get into it. Uh, So he wasn't her nurse or even assigned to her floor. Call me cat. Call me cat. Now, here's the thing. Um, The year before, her sister died. In the same hospital, under Charles's care. Wow. Yeah. Her sister was 91, I believe. Um, so since the beginning of his career, he worked with the most critical patients. So co-workers were really reluctant to raise red flags without good cause. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of these patients were very elderly, so families accepted the fate. They questioned it, but they kind of accepted it. Yeah, you know? well, it's... It was going to happen sooner or later. So at this point, he's now feeling bombarded from all sides. He stopped his depression meds. He started drinking more. Uh, And a family case manager with the Warren County Family Division was concerned enough about his behavior that he urged Charles to seek treatment for alcoholism and depression. Um, This case manager said that he loves his kids, but he fails to see that suicide is the most severe form of neglect towards his children. Yeah. Uh, Adrian fought for supervised visits for fear that Charles would run off with the kids or that he would, quote, impulsively take his life and theirs. In a very short span of time, he temporarily lost visitation privileges, but got supervised visits back and then overnight visits. Hmm. Um, Adrian would complain to the courts that he would abuse the dogs and the pets when they would get on his nerves. Again, serial killer. Yeah. yeah. Um. In one court filing, she described him as a dangerous alcoholic with a, quote, borderline personality. Mm. Um, he was unraveling at this point and was taking it out on patients, which you, you see the patterns start to emerge. Yeah, Patients die in packs within yeah. weeks of some sort of catastrophic event to him. Wow. So he, at this point, had developed a technique. He would wait until visitors left for the night. And then would cup a syringe full of stolen medications, would either inject it into the IV bags or directly into a patient. Early on in his career, the drugs were easy to obtain. They were stored in drawers and closets, and most hospitals really didn't keep track. Yeah. Um, eventually, though, electronic dispensing systems made their way into hospitals. They call <laughs> them Pixis now. Yeah. I'm thinking of Nurse Jackie. Yeah. Oh, it's, she loved that machine. Oh my, when they got it in there, yeah. <laughs> if you guys ever watch Nurse Jackie, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So he quickly developed his own strategies to get past the new electronic system. So. Gotta take a sip. Mm-hmm. Sip break. 
want you to vape too. So he would often say in charts, if they were his patients, that they were vomiting and he was giving them compazine, which is an anti-nauseate med that I don't think they make anymore. Hmm. Um, he starts exhibiting now odd behavior with other women. Michelle Tomlinson uh, was a co-worker of his who he repeatedly uh, tried to ask out and she repeatedly refused his advances. He developed a morbid fixation with a manic desire to have a relationship with her and then started stalking her. Oh. He would... Re- See, now the documentary didn't go in all this. Uh-huh. He would repeatedly call her and leave messages and then attempted to give her an engagement ring. What? She don't even want to have Sir, coffee with you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She doesn't even want to talk to you. No. You're buying a ring? I'd have been like, well, what's it look like? Is it good? What's it look like? Yeah, right? Uh, in early what kind sp- of a diamond is it? Oh, not a big one. Uh, in early spring of 1993, he actually broke into her house through a kitchen window while her and her six-year-old were sleeping. Jesus. Nothing was taken, but he moved shit around, which That's to me is worse. That's even more creepy. Yeah. Yep. Um, she went to the police and they immediately tapped her phone. He called her that morning, like within an hour of her phone being tapped. Yeah. And she's like, someone broke into my house. And he's like, "Uh uh-huh, it was me. Flat out admitted it. Said, quote, I wanted to check on you, you know, to make sure you were okay, that you did not try anything like suicide. What state is this? New Jersey. That is unbelievable to get a, a phone tap that easy. Maybe they just had a recorder up to it. Uh, yeah. He ended up turning himself in immediately, like drove right to the police station, turned himself in, was arranged, uh, arraigned on a felony charge and sent home with a pending court date. Okay. The next day, he attempted suicide again. Jesus, dude. Um, I don't know how this one he did, but he ended up in the ER and then the ICU. And then was sent to Carrier Clinic Psychiatric Hospital. He took a two-month medical leave to be treated at Carrier and then went to a state institution called Greystone Park Psychiatric Hospital, which he would go to multiple times. Now, how was he getting hired by these hospitals with this kind of a background? So, Warren Hospital comes up a lot because it's by where he lives. So, not only did he work there, he was treated there multiple times for mental illness. Yeah. But, so, like, <clears throat> I just don't get it. Like, you uh, you obviously have a mental right. disability. An unstable How, one. I- exactly. That's the issue. At that. So, let, let's put you in charge of right. how many patients. Right. So. I, that blows my mind. Warren Hospital said um, that they could only offer him temporary work when he was done with his care. And they would later explain that he couldn't be fired for treatment of mental illness any more than he could be treated for cancer. Or he could be fired for cancer treatment, which they're right. They're they're absolutely correct. Um, but detectives told administrators at the hospital to keep Charles away from Tomlinson. Um, so they carefully did his schedule so he wouldn't be around her. Mm-hmm. But then they also took the stance that the incident happened outside of the hospital. And it was not something that hospital administration should overly concern themselves with. Hmm. So, okay, felonious stalking isn't something you should concern yourself with. Yeah, just saying. Mm. Don't, do you have a parking garage? I'm gonna go with yeah. um new. Yeah. So, despite the domestic battery, uh, the divorce, the felonious stalking, and the instability, 
he was back at work as a CCU nurse. Jesus. Adrian would repeatedly express concern in court over his immediate return to work as a CCU nurse so soon after treatment at two facilities. Mm -hmm. He would say, though, multiple times that he was cleared. He was cleared by the mental health professionals at the hospital. I I get it, but still. Yeah. Um, So none of the mental health professionals or anyone in the courts or hospitals saw an issue with him coming back to work. Uh, especially because he he needed money at this point. Between his legal troubles and most recent suicide attempt, he was strained financially. Mm -hmm. Um, This in addition to child support and alimony. He moved into a modest basement apartment, but still had trouble paying rent. Um, He was working enough hours really to support an upper class lifestyle, but was lower class at best. Yeah. So... um, he att- he attempted to defend himself in his stalking case. Oh, dude. Realized he you don't couldn't. Do that. Well, he realized he couldn't. He applied for a public defender. Yeah. And they were like, mm, no, you make too much money. Oh, so he ended up defending himself. Yeah. He pled guilty to second degree misdemeanor charge of defiant trespass. He was given a year probation and was ordered to pay $220 in court costs and to stay away from Tomlinson. Mm. He was cool with it for like three days, and then he filed an appeal, literally within days. He stated that there was no reason that um, he should have to plead guilty to defiant trespass because they were involved in a sexual relationship. Interesting. Escalated quickly. Very quickly. Um, So he started at this point considering leaving nursing, but he knew he wouldn't be able to find a job that would pay as well. Yeah. Um, He would also say that he dreamed about using the stolen drugs on himself, but said he couldn't bring himself to do it because he didn't want his daughters to know that he had committed suicide with stolen drugs. Mm. To which I say, a bullshit. Yeah, I'm not Uh -uh. not buying that. No, no. So now Larry Dean is still like, you killed my mom and I'm going to fucking kill you. Mm -hmm. Um, All of his persistence led to an internal investigation in inquiry with the district attorney and now an autopsy, which she didn't have before. Yeah. Now, the family wanted specifically a digoxin test. Now, digoxin is a heart medication. It's not something that's commonly tested for. It really has to be requested or suspected. Okay. The request for this particular test never made it to the prosecutor, so it never made it to the pathologist, so it was never done. Uh. Charles was mentioned twice in the autopsy report, once specifically by name, once as the male nurse. Her autopsy was deemed inconclusive. Um, All the nurses were questioned. However, Charles was the only one who had to take a polygraph, which it was described as inconclusive, but then passing. So, both. Wow. Okay. Um, The medical examiner and the prosecutor confirmed that there was no order for the injection, but also that the investigation indicated that Charles most likely uh, and certainly gave the injection, but there was no sound proof that he seriously violated hospital protocol. Wow. Okay. So he gave it, but he didn't violate protocol? Yeah. Uh, That's what... That's what... Boggles my fucking mind. I'm baffled. You by have that. an Emmy and a prosecutor saying, "We know there was no order, but we have an investigation showing that he most definitely gave this injection." Yeah, but he didn't violate hospital policy. We don't have enough solid proof. Uh, yeah, how does that work? 
I don't know. So the New Jersey Board of Nursing was not informed about his prominent role in the death investigation because no charges were filed. Mm -hmm. He continued to work at the same hospital. Wow. Larry Dean still did not give up. He couldn't understand why all this information was there, but they did nothing with it. He even kept a piece of his mother's tissue. Really? In his freezer in case the opportunity for a test came up again. Wow. He did keep close track of Charles and every job change that he had. On December 7th of 1993, the divorce was finalized. He was awarded joint custody and a... How did they term it? Um, Active decision maker, I think is what they said. Okay. However, there was a personal restraining order against him for Adrian. So mom has a restraining order against him. But he has open door policy with his kids, essentially. Dude, who's coming up with all this shit? Oh, my God. What is going on? So now the nurses at this particular hospital said that he made them uncomfortable. A lot of them were refusing to work with him. So he resigned in December. So after being unemployed for four months, he got hired by Hunterton Medical Center in April of 1994. Um, They did do a background check, but there was nothing on it. However, it was also hospital policy to not dig too deep into prospective employees. Why? (laughs) I don't know. He was assigned uh, to the ICU-CCU, and for the first year and a half, nothing happened. Um, He, in June of 1994, obtained a Pennsylvania nursing license. um, Because, you know, it's right there. He could go. Yeah. It's unknown if he disclosed his conviction because two weeks after his application was processed, it was burned in an accidental fire. Ah, convenient. Yeah. Uh, The Pennsylvania um, Licensing Board also cannot ask about mental health, according to them. Um, Really? Yeah. At this point, he started having an affair with a, a married co-worker. But in early 1996, the familiar pattern of recovering patients dying under his care was starting to emerge again. Mm -hmm. Um, On January 21st of 1996, Leroy Sin died of a lethal dose of digoxin at 71 years old. On May 31st, 1996, Earl Young died of a digoxin overdose at 75. On June 9th of 1996... 49-year-old Catherine Dext died after a given unprescribed dose of digoxin. Jesus. On July 10th, 80-year-old Jesse Eichland died after unprescribed dose of digoxin. On July 24th, 65-year-old Frank Mazzacco died of a digoxin overdose. So, four out of the five died in a six-week period, but all were seriously ill and in the ICU, so nobody suspected anything. Oh, my God. I, yeah. Dude. In October of 1996. How fucking scary. Yeah. His girlfriend left him to go back to her husband, and he impulsively resigned from the hospital the same day. Regretted it, and when he asked for his job back, the administration said that they were allowing his resignation to stand. Mm -hmm. He claimed it was because they knew of the affair. Uh, Probably because you're not supposed to do that. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, in November of 1996, so immediately after... He got a job at, what did I write? Is that, yeah, Morristown Memorial Hospital. Um, They also had a policy to do criminal background checks, um, which we don't know if they did one on him, obviously. 
And their reference checks really were just uh, verification of employment dates. Yeah. However, in August of 1997, he was termed for poor job performance. So there was no reason to notify the New Jersey Board of Nursing. Wow. He would later say that this poor performance was him making an honest mistake of discontinuing heparin, which is a big deal because heparin is a blood thinner. Yeah. You can't just stop it. Yeah. Uh, He was also written up for uh, altering ventilator settings on a patient. Oh, my God. And not discontinuing a sedative on another. Dude, dear These aren't Lord. like you took a shit for 25 minutes no. too long or like your lunch break was too long. Like you fucked up vent settings on a patient. Yeah. Like that will kill them. And oh, he's nah, written up. Yeah. Dude, that's So him being unreal. unemployed again made him behind on child support and gave him huge credit card bills. Oh. He was treated again at Warren Hospital for depression uh, and ended up getting into a fight with a doctor about a blood draw. He was going to the same state facility and they required a blood draw for admittance. Mm -hmm. Once he was released, he filed a police report against the doctor. Really? Yeah, saying that the doctor um, drew his blood against his will. It obviously didn't go anywhere. Uh, He he filed for bankruptcy shortly after that. And then got his first uh, Pennsylvania nursing job. Wow. This was at Liberty Nursing and Rehabilitation Center. Mm Mm-hmm. And they stated that they were not required to find out why he had left other jobs. What? Yeah. So he signed up for the ventilator unit, which he really couldn't do what he wanted because the critical patients that he would normally kind of, you know, Mm. set up for death were sent out to the hospital. So Mm. the medications at this point were harder to get, uh, but he would later say that he was up for the challenge. In May, uh, May 7th, excuse me, 83-year-old Francis Henry Jr. was rushed to the hospital after aspirating vomit. He was in hypovolemic shock with seizures, and tests revealed insulin levels were off the charts. Uh, They eventually evened out his blood sugar, but it left him in a constant vegetative state. And on May 19th, his wife removed him from life support. Yeah. Um, the injuries, he was actually in there from a car accident. It was in a halo stuff. Oh, okay. So those injuries were listed as the official cause of death. Yeah. However, his wife, um, really, she said from the time she got the phone call about his blood sugar being 25. Oh, she, my God. Yeah. So um, she started to wonder if he was given a toxic dose of, of insulin. Yeah. Now... The possibility that somebody had OD'd a patient on a medication distressed the administration of Liberty because this is not something that had ever happened at their facility before. Mm -hmm. Uh, They started an investigation immediately into Henry's death and looked into his night shift nurse, Kimberly Pepe, not Charles Cullen. Wow. Uh, So she was this gentleman's nurse and Charles was the nurse of his roommate. Uh, She was shocked at the allegation and pointed at Cullen, who, like I said, was caring for the roommate. Yeah. She was repeatedly questioned and eventually suspended. On June 26th of 1998, she resigned after there was a threat of termination for medication error. She ended up suing the facility for... I was just going to say, I hope she fucking sued. She sued the facility for wrongful termination, citing gender discrimination, aiding and abetting discriminatory conduct. Aiding and abetting. 
defamation and uh, intentional infliction of emotional distress. She then questioned her bosses what their plans for I Charles hope she was. Won. I, you know what? I don't know. I don't know if she won. Hopefully. Um, but she said that Charles was, quote, under suspicion for several serious matters, including improper handling of medications and the disappearance <sighs> of medications at the same time as Henry's death. Wow. Uh, she stated that evidence pointed to Charles. Um, well, it was settled in 2001. But it was put under a gag order. Okay. So you don't really know. Yeah. She then filed an EEOC complaint for being blamed for the death um, after they did not look at her male counterpart. Um, She couldn't figure out why he had no blame directed at him despite being watched by the pharmacy for stealing medications. (laughs) She said that her record was clean, but his was, quote, under suspicion for several serious matters, including an investigation over stealing Dijakson. Wow. And missing Lasix and DeJackson. Hmm. Um, hmm. The, yeah, the facility refused to take her concern seriously. And later, a nursing home spos- spokesperson disputed a significant portion of her complaints, stating that an investigation into violations did not happen. Yeah. And there was no evidence that pointed to Charles. Wow. Yeah. So he only lasted a couple more months than she did. He ended up going to um, a different, well, this was, her friend got hired at the same facility that he was at. Okay. It turns out there was a scuffle in a patient's room, was how it was worded. Uh, She spoke with the aides, and they said that they saw Charles enter this elderly patient's room twice with needles and syringes. And the last time he entered, a scuffle ensued. She ended up breaking her arm. Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. Holy shit. Uh, This nurse went directly to the nursing supervisor, pointed out that medication given to this patient was not due at that time of day, um, and was like, he hurts patients, he needs to go. Yeah. He said that he went into the room and she was flailing her arms, so he decided to give her her antidepressant medications early. Within two hours of her coming back to the facility with her arm in a cast, he was fired. However, the official termination was cited as failure to follow procedures for administering medications and dispensing drugs without doctor's orders. Yeah. They did notify the Pennsylvania Department of Health mm-hmm. of the medication error. It wasn't an error. He gave it on purpose. Yeah. So, and they knew that. Um, <clears throat> this particular agency regulated facilities, but not individual nurses. So really, there was nothing they could do. Right. Um, because now people talking a lot, he had a hard time finding, finding permanent employment. So he ended up signing on with another staffing agency less than a week later. Oh my God. Wow. Um, because there was a nationwide nursing shortage and he preferred nights and weekends. He was not questioned. He was essentially hired on the spot. So his job hopping could really be explained away as stress for ICU patients or ICU nurses, you know. Um, So while he was working um, at Easton Hospital through a staffing agency, he was also working on the side at Leahy Valley Hospital uh, in their burn unit. Okay. So they called Liberty for a reference check and were told that, quote, no problems indicated. Hmm. Really? Yeah. Uh, 
a 70-year-old man was, uh, he, he took him out of the ER and said, well, he's going for tests. Yeah. And he had a vial or a, a syringe with him. And his daughter said, well, what's that? And he said, it's medication so his heart doesn't stop. What? What? <laughs> what? What? What is going on? But then when he was admitted to the ICU, the same gentleman, yeah, same nurse. Jesus. Again, Charles went into the room and the daughter questioned what he was doing. And he again said it's meds so his heart wouldn't stop. She later said she couldn't verify if it was the same person, unfortunately. Mm. Now, shortly after um, the medications in the ICU, he crashed. And they called his daughter and said he was given the wrong medication. Oh, my God. Now, he survived. Mm-hmm. He was, they found he had three times a therapeutic dose of digoxin. And then he ended up passing away shortly after. And he tried to talk the family out of an autopsy. Oh, sir. What are you doing? Oh, my God. This is a little more than ballsy. Yeah. At this point. So... What the fuck? Um, so the hospital authorities were concerned about the unexpected presence of the unprescribed drug, and they contacted the coroner for a death investigation. Mm-hmm. They said that he had died from aspiration pneumonia due to seizure after super therape- therapeutic levels of digoxin, which just means that he had digoxin in his system and he wasn't prescribed it. Yeah. His cause of death was deemed accidental and then undetermined. Yeah. Uh, They continued to investigate, and the coroner wanted an internal investigation. The family would eventually file suit a couple years later, his widow would. But Charles left three months after this happened. Yeah. So now he's working exclusively in the burn unit of Leahy uh, Valley Medical Center. His youngest patient was 22-year-old Matthew Mattern. He was in the burn unit for severe burns after a car accident. Yeah. And died of a lethal jo- dose of digoxin. Oh, my God. At 22. Dude. Yeah. Um, he attempted suicide again on January 3rd of 2000 with carbon monoxide, uh, but was back at work by the beginning of February. Mm. <laughs> so now, I don't, I don't know, even know what to say. I know. Um, immediately, another patient died. She survived her first attempt, his first attempt, died after the second one. Um, In April of 2000, he decided that too many people were talking too much, and he left that particular hospital to go to St. Luke's in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Uh, This hospital checked with both Leahy Valley and Liberty, and we're told there were no issues. What? what? How? How? (laughs) Like... I, I don't know. So he didn't really do much right away, but in early 2001, he started looking for victims again. Yeah. New notebook? Yeah. These, these, these are my notes now. <laughs> so he's at St. Luke's. He's not suspected of anything for quite some time, but managed to, over the next three years, kill five people and attempt to kill two more. Uh, another suicide attempt happened when he put his charcoal grill in his bathtub and tried to kill himself with CO poisoning. What? Yeah. Yeah. Um, he was sent to the hospital for a psyche valve, but was home the next day. Wow. Um, 
a co-worker ended up finding vials in a like a sharps box mm-hmm. and that's how he became suspected of um the deaths at St. Luke's because it's these medications are not valuable outside of the hospital and yeah. they're not recreational. Right. So any theft would be highly unlikely. Right. Uh the investigation did show that Colin took it. Mm. Charles, excuse me, took it. Colin was his last name, obviously. They offered him a deal. He could either resign with a neutral recommendation or be fired. You get a choice. Why would you get a choice? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. I, I'm speechless. He ended up resigning and was escorted from the building. Shortly after, seven employees of St. Luke's went to the Leahy County District Attorney with suspicions of drugs, of him taking drugs to kill patients. Um, the investigators never really looked into his past, and nine months later, the case was dropped due to lack of evidence. Mm-hmm. In September of 2002, he started working in the CCU at Somerset Medical Center in New Jersey. He began dating a local woman at the time, but his depression worsened. Yeah. Um, At this point, at that hospital, he killed 13 patients and attempted to kill another one. Oh, my God. By mid-2003. Dude. Yeah. With digoxin, insulin, and epinephrine. Um, Oh, my God. One gentleman, he... Attempted to overdose. The patient was discharged and died six months later of natural causes. But it started to kind of turn up that he was showing up in victims' rooms. And there were computerized records of him being in patients' charts that weren't his. Yeah. The computerized drug dispensing records showed that the med requests were not prescribed to his patients. Many were immediately canceled and requested within minutes of one another. So that's mm-hmm. how he was overriding the system. Right. <clears throat> in Now, this is what you were saying, too, that you saw in the, the documentary. Uh, in July of 2003, the executive director of the New Jersey Poison Information and yes. Education System yeah. warned Somerset officials that four suspicious overdoses indicated a possibility that there was an employee killing patients. Yep. Now... <clears throat> At the and he flat out said, like, they, they play his phone call, mm-hmm. and he flat out says, you need to call the police. You you have a police matter. Now, that would be the second time that that was brought up. The first time <clears throat> was the previous patient at the previous hospital mm-hmm. when the coroner said, you have an angel of death on your hands. You need wow. to find him. So they knew. And they still yeah. offer him a deal to resign. Unreal. Yeah. So now, um, <clears throat> the hospital didn't contact authorities until October. Mm-hmm. By the time the hospital contacted the authorities, five more people had died. Jesus. And he had attempted to kill one more. Um, there was a patient that died of um, hypoglycemic shock, which is low blood sugar. And this is when the hospital finally notified the New Jersey State Police. Yeah. At this point, state officials reprimanded the hospital for failing to report a non-fatal insulin overdose administered by him in August. Uh, And his employment history was finally investigated. Wow. Yeah, finally. It revealed multiple investigations into past suspicious deaths. And he was uh, eventually fired on October 31st of 2003 by Somerset for 
They said lying on his application. Yeah. So now this is where yeah, nurse Amy Lagren comes in. Yeah. Uh, she was approached by detectives with the New Jersey State Police, and they said, listen, your body's stealing shit. Mm-hmm. She's like, no, 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 he wouldn't do that. So now Amy was a single mom of two daughters who had a heart condition mm-hmm. while she was working. It's been described as a couple different things. Um, but what I did read, though, is that in the movie, it was exaggerated. Yeah. So she would get what they call sick sinus syndrome. Mm-hmm. So she would have erratic heartbeats and erratic heart rhythms at different times. That's how she described it. Yeah. In, yeah. In the documentary um it would cause her to get lightheaded and short of breath yeah now charles immediately started helping her Mm -hmm. if she would have an episode he would treat her patients for her that's how they became so close because she was hiding it because at this point she was also an agency nurse or uh, a traveling nurse yeah who was working only on the weekends so she could spend the week with her daughters Mm -hmm. um and she hadn't yet qualified for health insurance. So she couldn't get the procedure or the pacemaker that she needed. So he was helping her. She would go to the hospital on Friday and work shifts and sleep in between yeah. there while her kids were at their dad's. So she's like, you you guys are full of shit. This isn't happening. And then they showed her all the evidence. She said she got two charts in and knew immediately that he was doing this. Yeah. They asked her to wear a wire. The first time she wore the wire, it malfunctioned. Yep. So she had to go back in. And they play it in the documentary. Mm -hmm. Now, at this point, he almost admits it. Yeah. She said, basically, I know what you did. And he said, I'm not going down without a fight. Yep. So this gave them enough evidence for a probable cause arrest warrant. And on December 12th of 2003, he was arrested. He was initially charged with one count of murder for uh, Revelyn Florian Gale Mm -hmm. and the attempted murder of Jin Young Han, I believe is how you say it. He immediately confessed. Oh, immediately. Two days after his arrest, he admitted to detectives Dan Baldwin and Tim Braun that he not only had murdered the reverend, but he had killed upwards of 40 patients. And it's in the documentary, it's good because they explain the, the whole investigation the entire way. And they did a phenomenal job because they did things I yeah. would have no clue to do. But like it, it was kind of comical at the part where they went in to talk to him and the detective is like, I had no clue what I was walking mm-hmm. into. He opened up immediately. Immediately. Mm-hmm. And we were in there for hours. Oh, I bet. I bet. Yeah. So. Because he, so he used Dijaxon a lot because it's not something that's commonly tested for. Right. It puts you into an erratic heart rhythm, which causes the first real symptom is projectile vomiting. That's yeah. why a lot of his patients, like I said, had um, had aspirated, and yeah. that led to a lot of complications. Uh, the insulin overdoses, I mean, obviously, your blood sugar drops to 25. The first thing we do when somebody is unconscious, when we find them, is test their blood sugar. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of an easy one. 
Um, so in April of 2004, he pled guilty before Judge Paul W. Armstrong in a New Jersey court to killing 13 patients and attempting to kill two. These were just the patients he killed at Somerset. Jeez. Oh, now, he uh, was offered a plea agreement. He would cooperate with them in exchange for no death penalty. Cooperate for what? He didn't know all of his victims. Oh, my God. He couldn't point out all of his victims. So he pled guilty of three more patients in New Jersey. And in November of 2004, he pled guilty in an Allentown court to six murders and three attempted murders. He would repeatedly interrupt the judge speaking by chanting, quote, Your Honor, you need to step down. He was restrained and gagged more than once. Wow. At one point, he was gagged with cloth and duct tape because the deputy couldn't hold his head any longer to try and shut him up. Wow, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Um, In, uh, excuse me, on March 2nd of 2006, he was sentenced to 11 consecutive life sentences with no eligibility of parole until June 10th of... (laughs) 2388. Mm. Yeah. All right. So he, this is where it gets really fucking weird. Because he does the, Your Honor, you need to step down again. Yeah. In a, in a Pennsylvania court and was again gagged with cloth and, and duct tape. Why would he do that? Like, what? Because he's a dick. I don't, I mean, he's a dick. Um, he was given six additional life sentences. Um, But again, as part of his plea agreement, he agreed to continue working with officials to identify victims. Wow. Um, There were two that were open for quite some time in New Jersey, actually. Um, The families were given the chance to give their victim impact statement. Yeah. Um, They call them vermin, garbage, monster. Um, One lady said, it made me giggle, and I wrote it down just for you. I'll have to find it. One lady was like, you're going to die because there ain't no door to hell. (laughs) Another one said, I hope with every part of my heart that you become somebody's bitch in prison. (laughs) Yeah. So. Love it. So he stated that he would overdose these patients to spare them from being seen going into cardiac or respiratory arrest. He didn't want the nurses to dehumanize them. What? And he wanted to end their suffering. Um, <clears throat> he could not bear witness or hear about attempts at saving a victim's life. But the majority of them were not suffering. Right. They were getting better. Um, so one of the nurses said that many of his people were on the mend. Um, he also, like we know, did not use common painkillers or stimulants. He used the digoxin or the insulin because it wasn't people didn't really think about it you know yeah um he he i just i don't get it he in december of 2003 he told detectives that he lived most of his life in a fog and had blacked out the memories of the murders and could not recall how many people or why he chose them that's bullshit Mm -hmm. i don't believe that he would adamantly deny any killings at certain facilities would be handed their charts and would have to admit to it. Oh, I didn't do it here. And then handed a chart. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I did. All right. I guess I did. <clears throat> so 
He was able to move around undetected because of the lack of requirements to report suspicious behavior and inadequate legal obligations of the employers. And that's not true anymore. No, 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 no. And actually, he is a big reason why a lot of these things were changed. Um, He was definitely a huge reason why laws were changed in New Jersey and Pennsylvania. Good. Um, He... A lot of people, you know, because they talk. Everybody knows everybody. Yeah. Hospitals were were afraid of being sued for defamation if mm-hmm. no charges were filed. Right. But then these nurses would band together and be like, "We're we're gonna walk if you hire him." Right. We're we're gonna leave. There's no way around it. Um, <clears throat> Thirty-seven states would adopt new laws to encourage employers to give um, honest appraisals of job performance. And in 2004 and 2005, patient safety acts were passed. Mm. He said he killed up to 40 people in his 16-year career over 10 nursing homes and hospitals. He was fired from five nursing jobs, resigned from two. Um, And the hospitals, like I said, didn't share anything for fear of retaliation and and lawsuits. So um, one guy said... His mom died in 2003. He said, quote, in case he forgot what my mother looks like, look into my eyes. Um, This is the one. Deborah Medina, her grandmother died, said, quote, I want you to die tomorrow so that you can meet God tomorrow because guess what? There ain't no door out of hell, baby. (laughs) Yeah. Charles was given the opportunity to make a statement and he said that he had nothing to say. Of course. Yeah. Um. So, he really didn't know all of his victims. Authorities couldn't identify all of his victims. He said his memory was shit, obviously, but there were imprecise or destroyed medical records. Yeah. So... And when there's so many, mm -hmm. how how do you... Mm -hmm. uh, How can you even keep track? Yeah. As part of the plea agreement, Mm -hmm. he was walked over to the district attorney's office every once in a while and given boxes of records to look through Mm. to help identify patients really yep wow so now are you ready for this one yeah (laughs) i think so now with mail he had received multiple interview requests hate mail fan mail the whole kit and boodle Mm -hmm. never answered any of them until august 2005 okay all he got was a newspaper clipping about a man named ernie peckham with a note in the margin saying can you help Ernie Peckham was 10 years younger than Charles, had four kids and a wife, had a job uh, shaping metal in Farmingdale, New Jersey. He ended up getting a cut on his finger one day, and it developed into a strep infection. Oh, my God. Put him into kidney failure. Jesus. So it turns out that Ernie is the brother of one of Charles's estranged girlfriends, who happened to be the mother of his youngest daughter that he had never met. Wow. So Ernie's mom was like, well, miracles come in strange things. And maybe it could come through, I don't know, the serial killer who knocked up my daughter. So, wow. yeah, to be on a wait list for a new kidney, it's seven years for a cadaver donor. And it could be your best chance, obviously, is a living donor. But none of his friends or family were medically eligible to donate. And 
for him to be able to receive a living donor kidney, you had to be a six for six antigen match. Mm-hmm. It's impossible, almost. Yeah. So Ernie's mom had put out a public interest article in the paper with his blood type. Nothing. So she's like, fuck it. She sent him the newspaper article. Now Charles was still practicing his faith uh, with Reverend Kathy Roney. She didn't understand Charles or why he killed, but her job was to counsel him, essentially. Right. So he went to her and said, I want to give him my kidney. Wow. And she said, why now? Why this? Do you want it for fame or to rehabilitate your public image? Do you think that you're making a deal with God to save a life to wipe out the lives you took? Or did you hope or do you hope that you'll die on the table in a half-ass suicide attempt? And she said when she asked him these questions, his feelings were hurt, but she said she needed to know. Yeah. He wanted to be tested. So the judge signed off on him being tested because the judge is like, never going to be a fucking match. No. Whatever, you know. So while his Irish reverend was at a Druid spiritual retreat, she got a phone call. Charles was a perfect six for six antigen match to Ernie Peckham. No way. She said it was like a winning publisher's clearinghouse. Now, Ernie's mom, Pat, did not tell him for fear that if he found out where the kidney would come from, he would turn it down. Yeah. Charles wanted it kept secret because he didn't want public opinion to impede the process of him becoming a donor. So his attorney, Johnny Mack, um, wanted to help him because he said his motives were selfish. He had put too much time and effort into this case to have yeah. it fucked up now at this point. you know. Um, he didn't think it was going to happen. So when the judge signed off on the blood test, he said nobody really thought he was going to be a match. A match. Yeah. And when it turns out that he was a match, people thought that he was doing it to get back into a hospital to kill again. Jeez. Um, The attorney was told that donation was possible after sentencing, which was supposed to happen by December of 2005. But because there were still so many unfinished investigations, didn't happen. So by January 10th of 2006, Charles stopped cooperating completely. Yeah. Said, just sentence me now. Um, This broke the plea agreement and put him at risk for the death penalty. Mm -hmm. But he wanted to donate. Wow. So maybe to do one last good thing, you know, they ask him why he's he's actually interviewed and they ask him why. And his reason really doesn't make sense, I guess. Well, what did he say? I'm getting there. So they um, the attorney thought it was a tactical move to have him Mm -hmm. go through the whole process, you know? Yeah. Um, The. The medical center that was going to do the donation, they said that they didn't want him. So the attorney was really pushing it, you know. He went and saw Vaughn McCoy, who sounds like a Simpsons character. Uh, he was yeah, he the does. director of the New Jersey's Division of Criminal Justice. Uh, he told the attorney that Stony Brook didn't want Charles as a patient, mm-hmm. which was bullshit. Um a new attorney general said that Charles couldn't legally travel to New York to donate. Mm-hmm. You've got to be in the same state. Right. So, you know. 
Yeah, can't you just pop that kidney out? And, in a cooler, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Stony Brook Medical Center kept giving different dates, and um, it, the attorney thought that allowing the donation was kind of like dangling a carrot just to get him to cooperate. Um, he decided at this point that he was not going to appear at his sentencing hearings until they made a decision. Oh, wow. So he was transported to Pennsylvania to be sentenced. Same thing. Um, didn't want to do anything. Went back after being sentenced and was put on a 72-hour psych hold, which is common, apparently. Okay. They put you on a psych hold after you get sentenced to life. Oh, really? I guess that makes sense, because... Yeah, I, I guess that does. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. So the attorney, or excuse me, the reporter said, is it any wonder people question your motives? You're in prison for taking dozens of lives, and yet you're fighting to save one. It seems inconsistent. So he said he did it to end suffering, to stopping the pain and shortening the duration. Sometimes that pain was the patients, sometimes it was the families being ripped apart, and sometimes it was the lives of patients that would only be tied up by endless series of procedures and complications resulting in pain. Mm. He said, quote, I didn't see it as bad. I did know it was illegal. So his only answer to the question why was because. And when people found it surprising, he said, quote, But for me, it's totally consistent. For me, as a nurse, it's what I would do, what I would have always done. It's who I am. Bitch, you didn't want to be a nurse. Yeah. For a little while. So one random Tuesday night, uh, guards took Charles to the prison's medical center at St. Francis Hospital. They wouldn't tell him why. They drew blood and they cuffed him. And he was in there for over a day. Now, tests for donors are only valid for a year. Okay. You have to be retested, apparently. Yeah. There was only 14 days left before his tests expired. Mm-hmm. He was taken downstairs the next morning and uh, was told to only answer direct questions and that his name is now Johnny Quest, which was apparently a cartoon character. Okay. He knows he was given something that made him woozy. He suspected it was Valium. Uh, he was given paperwork to sign, and he said, I don't know what name I'm supposed to use. And the doctor said, name, you know, just use the name that you're told to use. So he wrote yeah. Johnny Quest, but then they had to give him more paper because yeah. obviously that's not valid. Right. Um, he remembers getting a second shot and that's it. An hour later, his kidney was in a cooler <laughs> on its way to New York. No kidding. Ernie ended up getting the kidney and he, he lived. He won't comment. He won't right. give any stories or anything like that. So he obviously knows where it came he from. He has to now, I would yeah. imagine, because he won't he won't comment on it. Yeah. Um he Ernie's doing great as far as everybody That's knows. Good. That's good. Um and now Charles Cullen will no longer give interviews himself. Wow. After this. Um it is said that the murders had everything to do with what he needed at the moment and what worked for him and absolutely nothing to do with the people he killed. Mm-hmm. Um, there are people that believe he killed upwards of 400 people. Yeah. And. Um, that I can believe. That I can believe too. So with Amy Lagren, she actually was just listed as a confidential informant mm-hmm. until the documentary came out. Right. 
they asked her right before it came out, they asked her to participate in it, but they didn't um, release her name until right before it came out. Yeah. So she said she did what she felt she had to do. Yeah. Because he was killing. She's like, he was my friend, but he was he was killing people. He was people. killing people. Yeah. So. Wow. Um, Man, this. Isn't that, it's insane. It's just wild. The whole thing. Yeah. So, yeah. Now he, the only interview he ever gave was to this one particular reporter and he won't give any public interviews after the kidney donation. Isn't mm. that crazy? And it's, it's interesting listening to the tapes of his interview with the police though. You know, he talks about how he wish he was stopped years before he wish he was caught and it's it, it just inter- it's interesting I, you know he's smart he's, he's, he's very smart. smart and i think i think there was something mentally oh i wrong do, with him f- from nine years if you yeah. try to kill yourself at nine years old something's wrong with you but why something is not right why so many attempts you're a nurse yeah you know what to do you know what to do you know exactly what to do. Yeah. But then you wonder, did he not succeed because Ernie was going to need a kidney? I mean, things yeah. happen in weird ways. Like it, like Ernie's mom said, miracles happen in strange ways. Maybe yeah. it's a serial killer who knocked up my daughter. Yeah. But, I mean, I don't know. You hear that sporadically from serial killers, that they knew what they were doing was illegal right and they wanted somebody to stop them but nobody did right and they were doing things to they were almost becoming brazen yeah to, to get caught yeah and i feel like maybe towards the end that's how he got because he used the same method the same, exactly. over and over and over like somebody's gonna catch on and he yeah he skirted through so many times which just blows my mind mm-hmm. with these hospitals yeah isn't that crazy and it's not the it's first not time I've cra- heard that. It's not just crazy. It is fucked up. It's scary. And it's scary. Mm-hmm. You know, people... Because they I watched everything the, as a medical error. It's not yeah, a medication error. Exactly. But what I did was, after I watched the documentary, you know, because like you hear so many... Everyone talk about police brutality and mm-hmm. shit like that. Look up medical malpractice in the oh, United States. It is fucking mind blowing. Well, they say how many people a year died just because of bad handwriting. Exactly. You know, it is fucking mind blowing. And you do why get... we're not up in arms over mm-hmm. medical malpractice? Well, and medical malpractice is also malicious to yes. a point. Look at Doctor Dunst. Yes, he he, he knew. What he was he doing. He knew exactly and what he, he was doing. He knew what he should have been doing, and he did the exact opposite. Exactly. He did that on purpose. Yes. Why? 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 Yep. Yeah. You know? It's it's crazy. It is. But it's, it's fucking scary. It's frightening. It's fucking frightening. Because they come, you know, and most people, you, I, I wanted to know every, every single thing that they were hooking up to you, every single thing that they were giving you. Right. I mean, I don't know if you remember when, when Jax was four months old and he had surgery. The nurse yeah. came at the two of us with a syringe and went right to his mouth. And I'm like, what? 
fuck are you doing? Right. I'm giving him medicine. Cool. What are you giving him? You're not just going to shove this in my kid's face. Right. I wanted to know everything that you were getting. And right. it wasn't lack of trust. It was just I, I needed to know for me. And you get the you get people who just they they blindly trust because that's right. what we're told to do and they don't know <clears throat> they don't exactly. know any better exactly so man unfucking real mm-hmm. what a wild fucking story yep mm. so he's still in trenton i believe prison. yeah yep where he should be but i mean i i really hope he's getting mental health too well, I mean, you would hope he is. Yeah. But he's still he's still going through charts trying to find victims. Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I could believe it's somewhere mm-hmm. 300, 400. Yeah. I mean, how do you even keep track? You know. You can't, clearly. No. Because he even said at one point, he he's didn't just know take, how many. He's he taking didn't know charts. Why. And yeah. He didn't know why he picked the people that he picked, but he did it to end their suffering. Right. You got to pick a reason, dude. Yeah. You can't use both both rationales behind it. Yeah. You know? Man. Well, that was a good one. You did some good digging because a lot of that wasn't even in the documentary. So. I read a book. Oh. You know. Good job. You know. Read a book in two days. I did. Fuck. It would take me. I read the book actually. Six months to read a book. I read the book in like three hours. Oh my God. And then just went back and referenced it. Oh my God, baby, you're ridiculous. I read quick. Yeah, I, I, I'm aware. Yeah. It would take me fucking six months to read a 100-page book. Uh, I don't retain as much as I used to right away. Yeah. I have to go back and, you know. Yeah. Um, but speaking of books, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mark's, uh, we're getting ready to publish. Yes. The cover's done. Well, it should hit the printers <clears throat> in May, they said. But the cover is done. The back cover is done. the The cover is fucking amazing. It's great. I it's, I told them exactly the idea. Yeah, I told them the idea of what I wanted, and it's it's right there. Fucking amazing. Dead on. So yeah. But yeah, yep. they said it should hit the printers May for the final press in May. So so then when will it be released if it's printed in May? Probably June, I think they said Probably, it would be the month uh, they, after. They didn't say. No, they, they said it would be the month after it went to the printer. Oh, so, okay, I, I missed that part. It's, it's in the contract. <laughs> oh, okay. That I, that I read. Gotcha. Yeah. Thanks for reading it. Yeah, no problem. Because <laughs> the email just said it was it was going to hit the, the yeah. printers in yeah. May. So, but it'll be available um, as as a book. You yeah, because they still do that, yeah. and it'll be available um, as an ebook. Yes. Too, so yes, it will be. So yeah, hopefully, but, people get something out of it. You know, it's good. It's about overcoming some obstacles in life, and it's just good because it's through. not sugar coated. I try not to at all. It's not sugar coated at all. Yeah, I, I try not to. And I think that's what people relate to the most. Yeah. You know, this shit's not sunshine and fucking rainbows. And it's not some fucking actor or right. some fucking right. big star mm-hmm. writing a book or having someone else write a about book about how they got their exhaustion yeah <laughs> exactly it's i mean i sat down and fucking typed every night yep i did proof so yeah you Just did saying. you did yeah so i helped a little but I yeah gave, that'll I be gave time uh, timelines that'll be coming so yep 
All right, guys. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode. And our next one is going to be the one we do for the class. Yes. So it's going to be clean. So it's going to be very clean. So no swearing. We're going to have to try to no swear. Um, it's going to be tough. But it, it's going to be a little different. So, yeah. you know, I hope you guys bear with it. But it's it's for a good purpose. It's, I mean, it's still going to be a case. Yeah, it, so, it's still going to be a good case, yeah. but um, it, it, it's for a good purpose. So yeah, it's very weird. Yes, yes, but know. it'll be interesting. We should be molding the minds of youngins. <laughs> All <but> right, <laughs> we're already fucking up our own pretty good. All right, so. <laughs> uh, All right. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this, and we will be talking to you soon. Bye. Bye. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.